Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. So it's been quite a few years. Um, and today we're going to talk about being where we are in 2022. But to get there, I want to invite you to think back to 2020. And just take a moment, ground yourself. Remember, there's ground beneath your feet. Maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable. Take a breath. And just this remembering where we were two years ago and what you were hoping for, where you thought you'd be now. I can guarantee you did not think you'd be sitting in this gym with a mask on your face. So as you ground in yourself in the present time and recognize and honor ourselves for the two years we've been through is really what I want you to do in this moment, that we've survived and we've been under a lot of stress, a lot of change. But taking a moment to just remember where you were two years ago and what you thought your life would look like now and how that compares. So the question that we're going to have in our conversations is this. Where, in March 2020, where did you hope to be in your life by now? And how does that compare to where you are? So gather with a group of three or four people and just... Share whatever comes up around that, whatever feels important for you, and be empathetic and listen deeply to one another as you do. Well, hopefully that was a fruitful conversation and didn't trigger anybody from remembering something that they would rather have kept compartmentalized, which honestly is a very good coping skill at certain times of one's life. Uh, as a therapist, I can recommend it as a temporary solution to a long-term problem. Compartmentalize things. But eventually, you have to go open the compartment and deal with it. So um, my story in March 2020, uh, actually March 8th, 2020, I was here preaching on a Sunday morning. And some of you might have been here for that sermon. Uh, it was about desire and chad. Uh, Eric uh, told me that, um, you know, because the shutdown happened that week, I broke the church. <laughs> it was just too much for the church to hear me talk about desire and a 28-year-old named Chad. And if you missed that, you can check it out on the podcast. Um, but I was just uh, 13 months past my husband's sudden death of a heart attack and was hoping like I was going to have a life. You know, there's a life for me at 57, almost 58, um, beyond this. You know, I made it through a year. Um, I had gone on some dating apps and was like, that's where Chad came into the story. But, <laughs> um, and I was, you know, thinking about my future. Um, on my birthday, the next day, on March 9th, I went to Disneyland uh, with my friend. We were kind of like, should we go? Should we not go? We'll take sanitizer. So we took sanitizer. It turns out that probably wasn't the reason or the best protection. But we did what we could, and we risked it because it was like, I need to just live my life. Like, I can't be stopped because I'm afraid. 
And then it was four days after, three days after that shutdown. Disneyland closed March 11th, and we all went into lockdown. You know, and it, it has been an awful two years for me, frankly. I have not liked it one bit. Um, and yet I know that some people were able to kind of continue on with business as usual to some degree, but nobody got out without some impact. We've all been under a chronic stress. And chronic stress is deadly. Um, the problem with chronic stress is that it just builds up. And I became acutely aware of that this week. Um, I'm between Monday going to the store, and there was like this huge line because there's only one checker. At the one store, I put my stuff down like, I don't need that stuff. I go to, see, uh, to Sprouts because I do need to get the food. I don't need the trash bags, but the food is important. And, and there's long lines at Sprouts because people are out. And so the workers aren't there. And I had a trigger. I felt, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, I felt myself have that, that triggering of, oh, no, we're not doing this again, are we? Because I've been enjoying being out. You know, we had a beautiful candlelight service here on the 21st or whatever date it was. And it was, you know, like, oh, gosh, we're finally having this connection. And now, oh. So, and then I'm in the midst of a big financial decision. And I'm not the finance person. I wasn't the finance person in our partnership. So I'm dealing with that stress. And the other day on Friday, I'm talking to my friend Joe, who's helping me out with this situation. And I find myself feeling short of breath. And I find myself feeling a little pang here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like a panic attack. Like, these are signs of a panic attack. And I'm like, okay, breathe, calm yourself. And, 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 and literally the past couple days, I've felt that. And so I'm trying to, what's going on? How did I get here? I teach yoga, I practice yoga, and I'm assessing where I am and realizing I miss, I've, I've missed some things in this past two years. And so we're at the beginning of a new year. And there's an opportunity for assessing self-care. And what are we doing to cope with the stress in our lives? And we know that stress is one of those, um, it, you know, nutrition, um, exercise, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep. These are the things that are really things we can do to take care of our health. But stress is especially important. And so inventorying where you are with stress and asking yourself, are you experiencing distress? Have you, are you experiencing some anxiety? And returning to some practices or reevaluating what you need to do to be in a better place with your emotional and, and, and energy system. Um, and I talk about that because my work in the world has always been about health. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 30, early stage breast cancer, thank God. But at that point, that's when I started learning about stress and health and well-being, because I was already pretty healthy. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I could get cancer at 30, what's my future like? So I began practicing yoga, and all my Christian friends were like, ooh, you're going to get possessed. And I'm like, ugh. I'm like, I don't know. It's supposed to be good for you. I'm going to pray and do it. <laughs> Um, but I think it also began to give me this reality check that 
what really mattered is love. You know, at that point, I was also working two jobs. No, I was working three jobs. I had uh, my church job, which is a part-time family ministry position. I had two internships working toward my licensing. And then I was, you know, doing all kinds of other things. And so I really was like, okay, quit the church job. Haven't worked in a church since until now at New Abbey. Um, and it's a very different kind of job, thank God. Um, and, and just really took care of myself and went deep into self-care. And what came clear as I did some research and as I started understanding all of this is the importance of love and the importance of love to health. My mentor, Joan Borisenko, um, who wrote the original body on mind-body health and the stress, the stress relaxation response with Herbert Benson way back in the way back whens, um, she says that love is who you are when the stress is removed. That love is our essence, that love and living in this state of loving kindness with ourselves and others is really our destiny. It's our origin and it's our destiny. And it's true in the Bible. It's true in the creation story. We are created by love, for love, to love. And love is what we were made for. And so love is very health protective. We know that isolation um, increases the incidences of disease. We know that self-love and self-acceptance does all kinds of good things for us. Um, and that just in general, even like William shared this morning about Buddha and Allah, you know, all healthy religion ultimately points people to love, to this avenue to experience a transcendent love that actually can do for us what human love alone can't. Because none of us can get enough human love to really heal the deepest wounds in our lives to heal the shame, to heal the guilt, to free us from the fear. Um, there is an author, and I can't remember his name, I wasn't, but he says that it is only through absorption, absorption in an ultimate something that anxiety can be removed. It's only when we're absorbed in something greater than ourselves that's ultimate, that's transcendent, that it's, and he was speaking of it from a more interreligious perspective. But that's really what the good news is. Jesus comes down to, it's all about love. Love God, love your neighbors, yourself. So we're going to talk about love. Loving others, loving ourselves. If you haven't gotten to know this book, and I might refer to it later, but The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Anyone have this book? It's a beautiful book about what it means to be human. And basically, it's about love. Brene Brown has a new book out. Anybody have her book, Atlas of the Heart? Really, in the heart is all about love, learning how to work with the intensity of affect that is a part of being alive to love. If you love, you are going to experience pain. Everything you love will disappear or die. I learned that when Dave died, and it hurts to open our hearts to love. But I also learned, and I remember... Uh, the first time I did communion, and I, for some reason, connect to beans after Dave died. And I remember standing in the, up at Conscious Minds where we were and saying, when shit happens, when trauma goes down, we have two choices. We either open our hearts, work with the messiness of our emotional reality, 
anguish, fear, whatever, and receive the love of people that are willing to love us in their imperfect ways. Or we shut down, we close off, and we harden our hearts. And that's so much of what Jesus talked about, the way of love, the way to live in love with ourselves and others and open our hearts. So emotion is the core of love, this affective, motivational drive that we need passion, we need energy to move forward in our lives. And being healthy with our affective capacities is a lot of what helps us thrive in life. So we're going to talk about love, and if we're going to talk about love, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I would invite you to think about 1 Corinthians 13 in a new way, to not think of it the way you've always thought about it. It's the thing we read at the wedding, right? (laughs) But it has a lot more to say than, than about a wedding. And in fact, the context is not about a wedding or a marriage. It's about community in the church and the body of Christ and how we function as a community in love. And that's an important part of New Abbey is we want to be a care-focused community. We want to create human beings who care well for others, who know how to listen, who have empathy for ourselves and others, who are compassionate. If we can do that, we've done our job. Whether you believe in Jesus exactly the same way as someone else is secondary. What's important is the practice of the gospel that the good news gets so deep into us that we are transformed. And we love the crappy uncle that we usually don't love. And we suddenly find ourselves feeling very differently about things. So 1 Corinthians 13 says this, if I speak in tongues of mortals and angels, but do not have love, what? I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know, when you die (laughs) and there's a service for your life, here's what people are going to be coming up saying. You know, that guy had such a tidy house right? Oh, you know what? He had a really big 401k when he died. How about that? That woman was so efficient and effective and focused in her life. You should have seen her planner pad. That's not what people are going to talk about. They're going to talk about the impact you made on their lives. In the end, love is what really matters. It's just not just a biblical truth. It's a human truth. Corinthians goes on to say, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This speaks a lot to our affective life. Love is patient. It doesn't mean we're not going to be impatient. Love is not boastful 
It doesn't mean sometimes we're not going to be boastful and prideful. But there are energies in us we have to learn to work with. Envy and jealousy. I've had a lot of that over the past two years. I envy people whose husbands haven't died. Okay, that's human. Of course I do. It's working skillfully with those energies that love does. And as we know a transcendent love, a a bigger love that is there for us in perfect ways, as we can build and find a way to clear out the obstacles of the bad religion we grew up with, perhaps. How many grew up with bad religion? You know, guilt, shame-inducing religion. As you clear up those messages and find this kind of real love of a God and learn to build practices and ways that you can actually get that to invade your mind and your body and your heart, then we can endure a lot of affect. Um, Emotional intelligence is human intelligence. Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart, is all about that. It's basically she realized through her research on perfectionism, vulnerability, leadership, is that the problem, the core issue with humans and why we hurt each other is because we haven't learned to deal with our feelings well. That's why at New Abbey, we're always saying, go to therapy. If you need help going to therapy, we have money to help you go to therapy. So this is a high value in our community because we know that emotional intelligence is the core of what makes a loving person. There's a a scale that I want to show you. Can you guys go forward to the scale? This is a, a subjective units of distress scale and I introduce it as a way for you to consider where, when you're in a healthy range of affect and when you're getting into a, a negative state. And I would encourage you to look it up on the internet, subjective units of distress scale. And you can have one to take for yourself. But we have to learn to pay attention to what is going on in our mind-body connection. And in times like these, it takes a more fine-tuned capacity to listen because the kind of stress we're under is chronic. So when there's an acute stressor, you're like, boom, oh yeah, I know. But now we're we're like the frog in the kettle. We're just going through this, we're showing up with masks, we're social distancing, we're changing our behaviors in ways that you can begin to like listen to and take responsibility for. So this awareness of stress and distress in our emotional mind-body connection is a really important human practice that I invite you to consider and check it out on the internet and find your own scale. When people are in the zone, when they're in that optimal flow of work, that's kind of the love place. It's not that we're not working, but we're not anxious about it. We're like, yes, I am doing it, I'm in it, and I'm on top of it. That's when we're most alive. And that's really the invitation of what love is, is, is asking of us is love can help us be the best people, produce good, be good humans in the world. Um, can you go forward to the, uh, the next slide for the scripture? I need some water. It's another part of health. <laughs> Hydration. I interrupt myself for a health break. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, 
they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. Whatever we valued, I mean, this is about the gifts of the Spirit and Paul trying to tell the church, don't be so caught up in whether you have a prophetic gift or whatever. So it may not make sense in our context because we're not doing a lot of that, right, Frankie? We're not so charismatic here. (laughs) For knowledge, it will come to an end, for we know only in part and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, and then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. All of this stuff is going to burn. The five regrets of the dying were not about money. The five regrets of the dying, wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had had more courage to do what I wanted to do with my life and not please other people. I wish I'd had more courage to express my real feelings. I wish I had spent more time with friends. I wish I had let myself be more happy. Those are the five regrets of the dying. Love endures. Love is really what is embodied in all of those things. This centering one's life on a a life of love. When I think about childish ways of dealing with affect, You know, putting aside childish ways, as children are all about avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. They just want it to go away. But as adults, we know that the path to fullness of life and love includes feeling, feeling anguish, feeling frustration, pounding our, weeping deeply. And if we can heal and free, be free to feel the full range of our own emotion, We will be kinder people to others, realizing that everyone is fighting a great battle. And when people aren't kind to us, it's usually almost always not about us. Love knows that and is able to tolerate and hold others in their messiness. Last of all, the final verse, um, you know, of these three, faith, hope, and love abide, and these three, the greatest is love. When I think about going into the new year and I think about facing times of uncertainty, I think about Abraham, and there's this amazing verse in in Romans where it says, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, choosing to put his faith not in what he saw he couldn't do, but in what God said he would do. And this amazing reality that, you know, God's will for you is not about any particular job, You get to choose. The only thing we know for sure, based on the teachings of Jesus, when Jesus summed up everything else from the Old Testament, love God, love your neighbor, be a loving person, and choose. You get to choose. You don't have to go away in a cave. I mean, there are times of discernment. Yes, I'm discerning right now about this financial thing. But it's almost like there's not one way to go. And that's a big responsibility. But love helps us to stay in the place of not giving up when it gets hard and when there's stress. So ultimately, love, when we are mature in God's love, that is God's will for us, is to grow in love and and to be the kind of people that the world is desperately in need of. So I'm going to turn to my little book, 
So, and I'm going to read you just a couple pieces before we go to our conversation. It's a little graphic novel. It's got little pictures. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. I guess it's an illustrated novel, but it's a book about the boy. The boy is full of questions. The mole is greedy for cake. The fox is mainly silent and wary because he's been hurt by life. The horse is the biggest thing they have ever encountered and also the gentlest. They are all different like us and each has their own weaknesses. So it's little, little sections where they have little encounters. They're having this conversation. They're sitting on a little tree together, a tree limb. Do you feel like you're in kindergarten again? <laughs> Isn't that nice? Who wants to come sit on my lap? <laughs> okay. What do you think success is, asked the boy. To love, said the mole. Skipping a lot here. Can't read you the whole book this day. Sometimes I feel lost, said the boy. Me too, said the mole. But we love you, and love brings you home. Sometimes I worry you'll all realize I'm ordinary, said the boy. Love doesn't need you to be extraordinary, said the mole. I've realized why we are here, whispered the boy. For cake, asked the mole. <laughs> to love, said the boy. And be loved, said the mole. Home isn't always a place, is it? So the invitation, New Abbey, is to come home to love. Your belovedness, the belovedness of every other human that you encounter in your life, the belovedness of the creation itself. And the question we're going to entertain as we go into our conversations is this. How might faith, hope, and love support you in the uncertainties of your life? Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.